You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Let's talk baseball with Phil Rogers, longtime friend of the program. Phil Rogers covers baseball for Forbes.com. We actually go to uh, Sports Money, go to Forbes.com, look for Phil Rogers. And he joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Phil, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for uh, having me. I need you tonight, Phil. I got some, some issues with the great game that we love. I, I, need, I need Dr. Rogers in. I don't need Phil. Oh, I need... You're not probably talking to me at the right time if you're looking for a pick-me-up. <laughs> Wait a minute. We've known each other for 20 years. you got to give me a pick-me-up. you got to help me out here. Um, well, I, I watched the whole first round of the draft tonight. I enjoyed that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I especially liked the Cubs, you know, picking Ed Howard. I think that's going to be terrific. And, uh, you know, I think it was, it, it, in that little small little bit, I think it was a good night for Chicago baseball, and we haven't had very many of those. Yeah, the, the Ed Howard pick for the Cubs, kid out of Mount Carmel, playing on 64th and Dante. Uh, that's that's a, that's a good pick for them for a shortstop. And then is it Crochet, the uh, left-hander for the Sox? Yeah, there's some, there's some questions about him, but uh, definitely a high ceiling. You know, I saw the Chris Sale comp that got thrown on him. I think Andrew Miller might be uh, might be a little more accurate. It was North Carolina uh, ace who the Marlins took in the first round. Actually, the Tigers took, got traded to the Marlins. Uh, you know, never really quite hit as the big college, as, as the uh, starter star, and then became a, a great reliever. You know, the thing that is a little concerning with Crochet is, Early this year at Tennessee, he had some shoulder problems, but you know he is a he is another uh, really high end arm. And uh, you know if he hadn't had those shoulder problems, he might have been one of the first five taken instead of with the eleventh pick. Yeah, I, and the, you know talking about the uh, the the Howard story. At least there's a Chicago product, and you know if this was the NFL draft, you'd wonder where's Baez going anytime soon. But Howard is in the pipeline. Nothing else. Well, I mean. You still wonder that about Baez, right? I mean, last time I looked, the Cubs had three guys that are eligible, three anchor guys eligible for free agency after 2021. You know, people don't talk about Rizzo as much as they do Baez and Bryant, but I don't know why they don't. You know, I mean, Anthony Rizzo is going to be a great player for a long time, and the Cubs are sitting there in a bad spot with the three of those guys headed for a free agency and, you know, no signs that uh, any of them are getting signed to extension soon. Well, that's the thing I miss about baseball is that, you know, under Madden, Chris Bryant played left, right, first, third. I mean, I mean I'm used to seeing a guy over third base 160 games a year, <laughs> you know. So, so Baez, is Baez the, the third baseman or second baseman of the future? I mean, that guy's a natural shortstop to me. Well, you know, I, I, I'm like the one guy in the city who thinks the Cubs were best when they had Addison Russell at shortstop. I, I, I liked Baez at second base better than I like him at shortstop. I mean, he was the best second baseman. And, you know, and, and, uh, there are so many good shortstops that he's one of them. But, you know, I like, I like the way Addison Russell, he, he didn't make as many spectacular plays, but he didn't make as many um, 
mis- you know, fundamental mistakes. He didn't try to force the action and make a bad throw or run into an out, uh, you know, as often as Baez. So, I, I, you know, I, to me, I think, you know, I, if you go back and date when the Cubs stopped being a great team, it was when Addison Russell got into all of his troubles and uh, he was suspended at the end of that year in, or however it was termed administrative leave mm-hmm. at the end of that year in 2018. And, and, uh, you know, they played their way into the, the uh, playoff of the division and then the wild card loss and missed the playoffs last year. So I, I think they really missed Russell and, and uh, you know, I, if they had another good, great shortstop and Baez wound up being a second baseman, that would be fine too. But I, you know, I think Javi has always seen himself as a shortstop and wants to be the shortstop. Phil Rogers from Forbes.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Phil, so every day that we don't see baseball on the field, wherever these players are going to play when they all come together, it's hurting the game. It's hurting the sport. Um, you know, I work with millennials that don't remember the, the 94 strike as well as you and I do and how that really damaged the game. When you are watching what's going on with baseball on both sides, how much is this damaging what we're, the, the game for the future? Well, Jonathan, I, I don't think it's just that it's not on the field. But I mean, we've kind of lost track of why it's not on the field. It's not on the field because of the coronavirus. And I'm the last guy who's going to tell you that you should be aggressive and not worry about the coronavirus. I, I'm a very cautious guy. I lost a friend to the disease early on. And, you know, I've been very sensitive to, to how it can come out of nowhere and not just change a life, but end a life. And you know, I think you have to be abundantly cautious in how you deal with it. And and that's really why baseball has been off the field. But they, I think Major League Baseball, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred, and ownership have kind of mishandled, in my opinion, um, the restart and allowed it to become an economic dispute with the union. And I think that is horrific for baseball and it, it it seemed to me it could have been avoidable i i've been a skeptic all along that they would they would salvage much of this season but it was really the health reasons that made me skeptical early on and now it's the business side of it you know just as much so i've almost i hate to say this this will sound shocking if you know me but i've i've kind of almost lost the will to care if they come back and play 55 games or 54 games and a, a postseason, I'm sure I'll get into it and enjoy watching it. But at this point, you know, there's a big part of me that kind of says, you know, why bother? Well, I, I'll, I'll make sure that my audience understands when you've lost Phil Rogers, you know, and, and you can fill in the blank from that because you love the game. You've been covering it for a long time. And I was sitting in the stands in the outfield bleachers before I was covering it for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, if they play, I'm sure I will watch it and get back into it. But, you know, I, it, it's also the, you know, the, the period of time, everything that is going on around it, you know, it, it really has kind of exposed how silly we are when we make you know, something that actually matters so little in our lives, so important. You know, when you look at health and you look at the societal issues with racism and policing that have been exposed and disparity of wealth, and I I could go on and on, but 
you know, I mean, I mean, we've been forced to kind of watch the news, not the sports, not Sports Center, and you know, it's kind of been a reminder that uh, you know, how much does it really matter whether you know the Brewers beat the uh, Cubs some night? Probably not that much in the big picture. No, there's no question about that. As we talked to Phil Rogers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, what do you remember most about the uh, the home run chase of of '98? Because the Sosa McGuire documentary is going to take place on ESPN on Sunday. That should be interesting to find out the perspective of both. Well, what do you remember about that entire year? You know, on the one hand, a lot of us did know it was phony baloney. It, it, we weren't in position to write it because you can't just write. Um, you know, suspicion as news. Uh, and, you know, there there wasn't hard evidence about PED use. There was a lot of suspicion. I mean, I knew Sammy. I covered Sammy's first game in the big leagues for the Texas Rangers. I was a Rangers beat writer. He was a center fielder, a skinny center fielder who batted leadoff, and Texas talked about him as maybe a guy that could contend for batting titles. They rarely mentioned his power. I got to Chicago. I covered the White Sox. Interleague ball started. I was around Sammy again a little bit. And it was physically a whole different guy than the guy that I uh, knew when he was a young, phenomenal prospect. And, you know, the power was truly unbelievable. And But what I do remember, you know, it, it, we were always skeptical, but it, it you couldn't believe what they were doing, no matter how they were doing it. The home run so fast that 20 home runs Sammy hit in the month of June. I mean, that is just preposterous, you know, and anytime you'd go out there, if he, if he hit one, it would be a okay day, but you were, you know, I think fans were hoping he would hit two or three. And so many times he did, he had so many multi multi home run games and McGuire was just the same. And, you know, I actually, I saw a lot of Sammy, but then I wound up being for the Tribune, the McGuire guy in September. I think I saw Mark's last 15 or so home runs. And, you know, the the fact that they were neck and neck, and it's a little bit lost now if you look at the total 70 to 66. But as I'm sure you know, there was a time on the last Friday of the season when Sammy was ahead of McGuire uh, and McGuire just feasted on uh, no-name Expo pitchers to hit five home runs that, that last weekend uh, to kind of blow them away. But, you know, it, just as a sideshow, who was going to hit the most home runs, who was going to wind up holding the record when it was over, it, it, was a great, it truly was a great race that, that went right to the wire. There's so many other... Storyline from that year too, like you know, players like Greg Vaughn, uh, watching, uh, watching Ken Griffey Jr. Bonds, all, all of those guys. It, it was interesting because, and I went through it yesterday for those that didn't remember. So I started in 1993 and talked about that White Sox team and how, just like the old five team, it just came out of nowhere and they were contending, great pitching. 94 strike happens. That was supposed to be the Sox against the Expos in the World Series. If if I'm the one telling the story. And then ninety five, ninety six, attendance was waning. Phil, it, it like it was. Sl- people were slow to go to the ballpark 
95, 96, 97. And then it picked up 63, 65 million people overall went to ball games because you start seeing the, the long ball. I think we have to thank Brady Anderson for all that. We had 50 home runs in 96. <laughs> I think, I think he's the reason why people came back to the ballpark. Yeah. Great. The best homer home run hitting the Catholic we've, we've ever seen. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I differ a little bit that, you know, what, what happened between the, um, you know, the, the strike that ended 94 uh, and and wiped out the World Series, the postseason that year, and, and delayed the start of the 95 season. Um, between that and the home run chase was Ripken's breaking of Garrick's streak. And, and, and I think that was really the moment that baseball kind of found its footing again. I, you know, I haven't looked at those attendance totals year by year recently, like it sounds like you have, mm-hmm. but in, in my head, you know, I think Ripken had more to do, you know, and that was a hundred percent feel good story. And unless you correctly thought he was selfish and could have used a few nights off there at the end, no question about it. Um, but you know that was that was a that was a great story, and it happened in a great place, great baseball town in Baltimore. And you know, I I, I kind of don't think it, I, I don't think baseball was desperate to have this home run chase, and I, I don't think uh, MLB ownership and Bud Selig, who like co-wrote his uh, memoir that came out last year, I don't think he deliberately turned a blind eye. Um, to PEDs because baseball needed the attendance. And, you know, I'm, um, I don't think baseball's really needed juiced balls. I don't, I don't know what's happened the last uh, couple of years with the power hitters, the, the numbers again, but I'm not a big conspiracy theorist on all of those matters. I, you know, I think most things happen randomly or unintended consequences. And I, I think MLB the steroid thing was simply they couldn't get uh, the union to agree to a testing program. And it was a much stronger union than the other sports had. And when they asked for it, that, you know, you know, granted it wasn't a priority from ownership. They weren't going to shut down a season to try to get a steroid policy. Uh, And short of doing that, they weren't going to get one. So, you know, thus they didn't have one until 2003, 2004. So, Phil, lastly, and I appreciate your time with Sosa McGuire being part of this documentary, you know, Clemens, Bonds, you know, all these people are around the, the steroid culture. Will these players ever get to the Hall of Fame? Ever's a real long time. Um, I, they won't get in, um, you know, the guys that are still on the ballot won't get in through the baseball writers' ballots, I don't believe. Um and they won't get in from a veterans committee uh, vote the way those committees are currently delegated. But the Hall of Fame constantly changes the, cri- the qualifications and the criteria. Um, so I, I I don't know how to answer it. I, you know, I, I, I will say they won't get in in the next 10 or 15 years. And, you know, unless, unless there's a... Um, you know, the wind blows in from a different direction and the Hall of Fame decides it wants them in and they change the criteria to get them in. That that could happen any year. But right now, I think there's still a real anti-PED bent uh, to the Hall of Fame's board of directors. And I think there are enough writers 
who won't vote for them that I don't think they I, I don't think they can get in that way either. Go to uh, Forbes.com and read Phil Rogers and his thoughts on the Cubs, White Sox, everything else, MLB. I'm glad you spent some time, Phil. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much, Jonathan. It's uh, Phil Rogers with us here on uh, ESPN 1000. Still to come, some thoughts from Mickey Morandini, who was a um, a player that played with Sammy Sosa in that 1998 team, that great home run chase of Sosa and McGuire, or Morandini was a second baseman, a starter for the Cubs. We're going to hear from him coming up at 930 right here uh, on ESPN 1000. Well, as I told you, Tyler, see, 10, 15 years, no Sosa, Clemens, the guys that are around the steroid culture, it's got to be your generation. Told you. We'll try. Well, that's not good. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. We'll hear from Mickey Morandini, former Chicago Cub, former Philly. His thoughts on playing with Sammy Sosa. We will hear from him coming up in our next segment here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Ryan Clark from ESPN was on with Waddle and Sylvie earlier today. And Ryan Clark has been is someone who's outspoken when it comes to the NFL and NFL issues, but also matters of culture. And so... Um, Tom and Mark talked to Ryan Clark about a number of issues. One of them, the issues they talked about is asking the question, is it important for others to speak publicly when it comes to matters of culture and society? I think, I think speaking is, is better than silence. Uh, I think lying is worse than both. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was speaking about Jerry Jones earlier because Richard Sherman says, you know, someone like him, who has his own scrum after every game, who has his own radio spot each week, usually seems very excited to speak to the media and to speak about certain topics. Uh, he was really uh, very poignant. He was really very precise and concise on how he felt about the protest in 2017. So it is extremely odd that he's so silent. Um, no, you know what happens. You know, sometimes these $250 million yachts, they get lost at sea. And so maybe he's just not, nowhere near a microphone to give us his thoughts on what's going on in America um, today. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm no fool. I'm no fool. I understand that the reason institutional and systematic racism exists is because the people who make the rules allow it to continue to exist. Jerry Jones is a part of that faction that gets to make some of these rules. And so I understand that he can get these NFL players and he can get into rooms and to offices and talk about policies that many of these guys cannot. His voice would mean the world to this movement. His voice would empower players in a way that we have never seen. And that's not just Jerry Jones. That's many of the other owners. I know Arthur Blank released a statement at one point. Shot Khan also uh, released a statement through an op-ed. And I think the Bensons have said something. So there's been some statements made by owners, but we haven't really heard their voices. We haven't necessarily seen their faces. And Richard Sherman used the word, used the word it's not pulling at them like it's pulling on the rest of society. And I believe that. Um, I think when you look at other players, the Carson Wentz, who stepped up right away, Zach Ertz, Drew Brees, eventually, 
when you think about their element, their element each day is in that locker room. That locker room is 70% black. Right. The element for a, you know, for a Jerry Jones is not that type of element. That element is people that look like him and a lot of times people that think like him. So if he steps up, if Jerry Jones steps up and says, you know what, I support my players, we're going to be right behind them in protest because equality is not equality is not going above and beyond. Equality is the minimum. Fairness is the bottom of the ladder. That's where we have to be. That's where we have to start. If he says that he now may alienate some of these people that he've had, he's had certain conversations with his whole life, and they may feel like, you know what, we can't say this, the things about the black community. We can't say those things that we used to say around you because you are now different. And so it's going to take some gumption to step up and do that. I would hope that owners have that because you've made billions doing things a certain way and believing in your morals and your fabric. But if your fabric isn't that this is a fight that needs to happen, then keep your mouth shut because you aren't going to do the movement any good if you're trying to pull it down at every opportunity you have. Some thoughts there from Ryan Clark on with Wadlin Sylvie. One thing I will say about what Ryan Clark is talking about, and this is in relationship to his conversation he had with Tom and Mark today, and that is there are, there are a number of people that will say about George Floyd or say about what's going on with protests. Well, I, I don't understand what's going on. What can I do? And I understand that there are some that look at what we see on our, on a daily basis and say, I don't have an opinion on it, or I don't know what to say. I don't know what's politically correct. And, and my thought is, is that first of all, there is no PC. There's no such thing as politically correct. It's like the phrase reverse racism. There is no reverse racism. It's just racism. There's nothing reverse drive, uh, put it in low or two or park when it comes to racism. There is no reverse racism. It's just racism. Okay. So there's certain buzzwords and terms that are in our society that we just can't throw out there because we see them in media, social media, whatever. But I, I would say that if you see something that doesn't seem right to you, you should speak out on it. I have teammates of mine. They're asking me, like, well, so what can I do? What you can do is, just like some of the, the players around the NFL, um, if you think that what you saw on that video with George Floyd or other issues going on uh, in our society is wrong, you should speak up and say something about it and then learn more about it. The one thing about this country is that we have more technology now to learn things. We can learn so much and again, some of the stuff on the internet is true. Some of it's not, but it doesn't mean that we don't have an opportunity, a way to be able to learn things. You know, I, as a Gen Xer, you know, we, we grew up before the computer age. We're learning stuff through encyclopedias. Raise your hand if you remember a set of encyclopedias in your home when you were a kid, right? You're learning through books. I still have some of those books here uh, in the hood cave. For those of you following me on Instagram, you see some of those books that, that I still have uh, today that I had when I was a kid and before that, were, uh, that uh, were brought down to me. So we can still always learn as a people. And so this is not hard. We can be able to learn from one another. And when it comes to the National Football League, there are a lot of d diverse 
interesting backgrounds all throughout these locker rooms. But there's an opportunity to be able to learn by speaking to someone, not putting your, not talking through texts, not trying to sideswipe somebody on social media, but to be able to have a dialogue to understand where the other person is coming from. It's not just one sided. It's not about an aisle. It's not about liberal and conservative views and what uh, what wins, what does not, what's popular, what's unpopular. It's just to be able to have that conversation. Um, Ryan Clark also talked about this. He talked about, um, are you confident based on what you've seen that things are changing? You know, I, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily say I have a, lo- a certain level of confidence, but I'm certainly encouraged. I think if you look at society today, society is different. Um, I think the number of people that are willing to listen has changed. And, you know, I was having a conversation uh, with a partner of mine. Um, you know, you guys are in Chicago. You may know his name is Ryan Terrio. He actually sure. was a Cub. Yeah, um, of course. You know, for a while. And he's um, he's a partner in, in my facility here in my business. And he comes to me, you know, and, and we're having the conversation and we're talking about it. And Ryan's always been willing to listen. And he's always been a part of that. He's always shown uh, that he uh, he doesn't necessarily understand the, the fight, but he wants to be part of the solution. And I think more people are where he is now. And I believe that that's a good thing when you have guys like Matt Ryan, even speaking about Colin Kaepernick and saying how, you know, he brought light to this issue before and that that was something that people should have supported then but now, knowing what we're seeing in society, being able to say, you know, I think if he, the NFL should give him a chance. And I believe that just shows the progress in our little small world. And what I mean about that small world is the NFL, the world we get an opportunity to talk about. And so I think that is extremely, I think that is extremely positive. I also think it's extremely positive that people are now looking for solutions. People are now searching for ways to change policy and to change legislation that does provide equality and justice for all people. And, uh, and obviously, you know, black people and, and the, the black community right now is in the forefront, forefront, but I do realize that it is going to be the support of others that allows this to become something that is life-changing, that allows this generation to see a new era ushered in in the way that, communities are treated and so i think that this is this has been good obviously you know there are going to be issues and there's going to be opposition but that's what all great stories have that's what history is made of and so what you hope is the momentum that has been started with protests the momentum that has been started with people speaking out the momentum that has been started with folks listening continues that it's consistent and that it has staying power that we're just not moved by watching George Floyd take his last breath with a man with his knee on his neck and his hands in his pocket, treating him as an insignificant, in, almost inanimate object to rest his, his weight on. And so I think I don't want that image to go out of people's head and they forget about the rest of the fights, the right. Breonna Taylors, the Ahmaud Arbery's, even back Trayvon Martin. So there's so much we need to be fighting for. And it would be great, you know, if we get to a time where you don't have to fight for that. We're all working together to make the world better for all of us, not just a certain sect of people. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. 
Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us. Sosa versus McGuire, the documentary taking place at 30 for 30 on Sunday night. A former teammate of Sammy Sosa, part of that uh, 1998 Cubs team, second baseman Mickey Morandini is with us here on ESPN 1000. Mickey, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, documentary on, on TV. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what, what, what's the truth and what's a lie. I can't wait to see how that all materializes coming up on Sunday. I want to get your thoughts, Mickey, about the Sosa versus McGuire. But first, your memories of the 98 season. What do you remember most? You know, the home run chase was big, but what do you remember most about the season, the ebb and flow of it? Yeah, you know, I, was, uh, I just came over. I had to uh, replace Ryan Sandberg that year, and obviously uh, he was obviously a huge fan favorite there. So I kind of had a lot of pressure on me to come in and play well. But, you know, I just remember them going out and getting me and Henry Rodriguez and Jeff Blauser and Rod Beck and bringing in some, some veteran guys that knew how to play the game. And I honestly don't remember where we were picked. I think, I think we were picked coming second or third place or something like that. But uh, we really gelled pretty early and played well early and, we were in the race for most of the year, but there's really three things that stuck out for me that year. One was the Kerry Wood performance, mm-hmm. the 20-strikeout performance. Uh, the other one was the Brant Brown dropped fly ball in left field late in the season that almost cost us a playoff spot. And then, obviously, the, the Sosa-McGuire uh, epic home run battle. Those three things really stick, stuck out in my mind, and I still think about those things today. Mickey, we still are talking about the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game. We just talked about the uh, anniversary of that. Everybody apparently were at the ball at the ballpark because everyone says they had a ticket. I was there. I was there. Like everyone talks about how special that game was. Twenty strikeouts. Uh, it's it's hard to find a lot of pitchers in history that were able to have a performance quite like Kerry that day. Yeah, that is the best stuff I've ever seen one pitcher have on a particular day. I mean, his his fastball was electric, um, but that breaking ball that he had that day was the best breaking ball I had ever seen in a game. I mean, it was breaking 8 to 10 feet, and that Houston Astros lineup was really good. I mean, they had a lot of solid hitters in that lineup, a couple of Hall of Famers to be exact, and he just made them look silly, and it was it was just really exciting to watch him pitch that day. All-star second baseman Mickey Morandini with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Mickey, when we take a look at at Sosa, what do you remember most about him as a teammate? You know, he was a good teammate. Uh, He was passionate. He loved to play the game. I mean, there was nothing he loved to do more than than play baseball. And, you know, obviously I remember him always running out the right field and the fans in right field saluting him as he ran by. But he took hitting very seriously. Uh, he worked hard on his hitting. Uh, he was in that cage every day working on his hitting. And he just put it all together that year. I actually just went back and looked at some of his stats from that year. He obviously hit 66 homers, but uh, he hit 20 home runs in June. And he had nine multi-home run games, which is pretty incredible. I mean, he was just locked in that year. And um, 
it was good for me because I hit in front of Sammy, and <laughs> so I saw a lot of I saw a lot of fastballs that year, and I had career highs in like six, seven different categories that year, and I really attribute it to hitting in front of Mark Grace and Sammy Sosa because guys would throw me fastballs trying to get me out because they did not want to face those two guys, and um, it was sure was fun hitting in, in Wrigley Field that year. So as you are, are just day-to-day, you're just taking care of your business, making sure that your defense is solid, that you're getting good at-bats, and just trying to help this ball club win 90 games, in which the Cubs did win 90 games that year uh, in 1998. What's going through your mind? Because every day there's something about someone hitting a lot of home runs or Sosa and McGuire going back and forth. What were you thinking as a player while this was going on? I literally was in awe. I really was of both players. What they did that year with 70 and 66 home runs and September was incredible the way you know Sammy hit one and you'd look up on the scoreboard and McGuire hit one the next day McGuire hit one then Sammy would hit hit one and it just went back and forth until really about the last week where they were neck and neck and then finally Sammy cooled off and McGuire kept going but um, I was just in awe of what Sammy was doing that year It, it, it was it was amazing it truly was amazing Former Cub Mickey Morandini with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Mickey, there's always you're always going to have some fans travel with you when you're on the road. And uh, with the Phillies, I'm sure you had some of that. But with the Cubs, because of the power of WGN for so many generations, you saw Cub fans, wherever you go, they're always around. They come in droves to see the Cubs home and road. What was that like being part of the ball club, knowing that people were coming to see you and the ball club and, of course, Sosa and what he did? Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, obviously the Cubs, they travel well. No matter what city you're going to, there are Cub fans. And like you said, because of WGN, everybody's watching Cubs baseball on TV. And uh, it was fun. You know, we didn't play a lot of road games, to be honest with you, because a lot of the times the crowds were, you know, 50-50 or if if not more. And uh, I always remember going into St. Louis because obviously those two teams just, you know, really can't stand each other. And we had some fierce battles with the Cardinals that year. And, um, it was always nice because you had that, like I said, that 50-50 split of Cubs fans, Cardinals fans, and um, it was just a lot of fun. I can remember going in there in, in mid-September uh, when McGuire actually broke uh, the record um, against Traxel, and that, that, uh, that, that ballpark was electric that night. It was pretty fun. Anytime that you bring up Jim Riggleman, anybody bring up Jim, Jim Riggleman, usually the thing Mickey people says, ah, good baseball man, solid baseball man. Uh, and Riggleman was the manager for that magical 98 season. And to me, on the surface, just talking to Riggleman during that time, just seemed to me like an ultimate player's manager where he wasn't laid back necessarily, but uh, was always on the player's side. What would you remember most about Riggleman? Yeah, I call him a player's manager. He was a, a very uh, a manager that that kind of played the percentages a lot. Um, you know, lefty on lefty, pinch hitting a righty uh, when there was a righty on the mound, pinch hitting a lefty, and and things like that. He used he used his entire roster very well, and uh, I loved playing for Jim. He just you know just go out, play the game the right right way, play hard. Um, but he did things his way. Um, there there wasn't any ball players, you know telling him how to how to manage or how to do things he did things his way and um like i said he was a player's manager but he was he was very aggressive with with you know pinch hitting and and things like that bringing lefty to lefty then righty to righty and using his entire roster he was really good at that if you get a universal dh mickey you're not going to have any more of that nonsense 
If you, yeah, if you're gonna, <laughs> I know. I'm a National League guy. I hate to see the DH come in. I understand why, and, and I know it's coming. But I still like the, you know, the 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 pinch hit here in the fifth inning for the pitcher and things like that. But I know it's going to go away for the better. So, you know, Mickey, I have not seen this documentary yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing Sosa uh, and McGuire, that magical year of 1998 on ESPN for the 30 for 30. But here's the thing that's a disconnect for some Cub fans. Here in 2020, still, Tom Ricketts, one of the, the new owner for this Cubs team, feels that Sammy Sosa needs to apologize. Now, he's never said apologize for what, but Sosa has not been around the ball club in years. Um, right. So, so if you are Tom Ricketts, what's the likelihood that you allow Sosa to return to the Cubs? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the beef is about. Like you said, I don't know what he's. What is he apologizing for? Is it a possible use of steroids? I don't know what the, what the apology is for. So um, he's an iconic figure in that town. There's no doubt about it. Um, what he did for that city during the years he played there was incredible and. Um, they need to iron out their differences. Somebody needs to say, uh, you know, be a better man about it and get those those two together and get Sammy in. Now, I used to do the Cubs convention. I used to do it uh, quite often, and I know all, Sammy always came to the Cubs convention. Um, so I'm assuming he hasn't been there in a long, long time. So um, maybe it would be nice to just get Sammy back to the Cubs convention. I'm sure there would be a huge welcome for him then. So, again, because Ricketts has not said on the record exactly what, he just says apologize, and it just it just seems kind of open there unless he actually says it. So it, saying it is for steroids, well, the one thing we do know about Sosa is, like I watched him with the White Sox all the way to the Cubs. Yeah, he was definitely a, a different-looking player. There's no question about that. I, but I will say that he has never been on the record uh, you know, accused of steroid use. He was part of the Mitchell Report, but never tested positive. So should Mitchell right. Report guys, should they be allowed to be in the spotlight more, even to the Hall of Fame? Oh, no question. If you're not on the, you know, if you haven't been proven, tested, you know, positive, uh, you know, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. So you're going to have to accept that they didn't do it. Um and, uh, you know, Sammy definitely deserves Hall of Fame consideration. There's no question about it, some of the numbers that he put up. I mean, they always talk about Hall of Famers changing the game when they played uh, during their time, and Sammy definitely changed the game during his time with his power. So, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, the Ricketts family and Sammy can work it out. And, uh, you know, Sammy belongs back in Chicago, and, and he belongs hanging out with his fans, that's for sure. All-Star second baseman Mickey Morandini with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. As, uh, Mickey was part of that uh, great 98 team, the Cubs team that went to the playoffs uh, and was a teammate of Sammy Sosa. So you've you've been through this before, Mickey, as far as a work stoppage. This sucks for a baseball fan right now here in June where there's no baseball. Go, go back to 94, uh, into 95. What do you remember most about that work stoppage and how it affected you? Well, I was I was uh, it would have been my third full year I think in the big league, so I obviously wasn't making big money at the time. And um, but uh, you know the big thing is, and, and it happens every negotiation is that they're far apart to begin with. You know they have words for each other, they throw out allegations, things like that, and then when it comes to crunch time, it always gets worked out. Both sides, you know, start talking, they start. Uh, 
you know, giving and taking a little bit, and it gets done. And that's that's what I think is going to happen here again. We're kind of getting to crunch time here, and hopefully by the end of the week they've made some movement. Um, but I just remember just kind of waiting. And, uh, you know, fortunately I know we stopped the 94 season short, and then the 95 season, if I'm not mistaken, started a little bit late, maybe mid to late April. But um, as a young guy, as a young player, you just kind of roll along with it and, and hope it gets settled. I just know just during that year, those times, Mickey, that Bud Selig did love the game. You, know, you might have been the nutty professor with the glasses and everything else, but he loved the game. Uh, and with Rob Manfred and what's going on with Tony Clark, it's just, I just think it's unfortunate on both sides of this issue that – here, here we are through this pandemic. If nothing else, baseball players could be playing in Florida and Arizona, and they're they're as far apart as they were in the off season. It, it is it it is amazing to me. I'm wondering whether you foresee baseball returning, that both sides can come into an agreement. I do. I do think it's going to return. I think both sides are way too smart to not not have a season this year. They have have to have a season this year, and. Um, the sad part about, it, like you said, is baseball could be up and going right now. The first sport back, everybody, you know, it's going to be popular. Everybody's happy. They're they're able to watch the, you know, the games on TV. They finally get to watch something live, you know, and and they kind of blew that. And they had that opportunity, and um, they let that pass by the wayside. But I, I think they're going to get it done. I really do. It seemed to be a little, even though the. The players rejected the offer from yesterday. There seemed to be a little bit of movement, maybe a little bit of room for discussion. So hopefully the players can counter with something that, uh, you know, can start these talks up a little more fierce. And like I said, hopefully by the end of the week we've got something, uh, some movement going, and we can uh, get these guys into spring training and get this season going, hopefully in July. Mickey, um, as you were saying earlier, you know, talking about this, these Mitchell Report players, you know, you're a guy that played the game the the right way, and then on top of that, made sure that you did it in a way where fans can respect it. I'm just looking at the, the future for for Major League Baseball players like Sammy Sosa, you know. And again, I, I've not seen this documentary, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of talk about him and McGuire. McGuire admitted that he, that he was uh, part of that steroid culture. Sammy says that he has not. And I'm wondering, right. like, for those that admit it, do you think that McGuire, guys like that, should be in the Hall of Fame? Or Paul Merrow, players like that. For guys that admitted it, probably not. Not at this stage in the game. Um, but I, I look at certain players like a Barry Bond. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, he was the best player, one of the best players to ever play the game. And I know he was the best player to ever play in my time when I was playing. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I mean, the things he did on the field and the numbers that he put up were truly amazing. So um, it's hard to say. You know, it's going to be an argument that's going to be there for a long, long time. And um, But I I honestly believe there's guys that are in the Hall of Fame right now that that did steroids. They just, like you said, they weren't on the, the list. They didn't admit to it. There was no proof. And so um, if that's the case, you know, for me, if you deserve to be in, you deserve to be in. I agree. And, and if, the, if it's found that some of these guys did take steroids, that's why you tell the story at the Hall of Fame. You know, there's, there's a reason you can right. put that on the plaque, Mickey, and just say, you know, this is an era in which uh, the Players Association and um, the commissioner were not on the same page when it comes to 
steroids. There was no edict that was put out there. And so this is what it is. You know, it was, and, and, you know, you mentioned Bonds. Look, I, I, you, 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 you played against him when he's at the Pirates, did you? Yeah, I played against the Pirates and Giants, I'm telling you. Yeah. He's the best player I've ever seen play. <laughs> so, the things he did were, were amazing. Skinny Bonds was was talented. <laughs> like right. When he first came in, that, that guy was hitting, hitting the ball a ton with the Pirates. I remember that right. uh, early, you know, early in his career. And then so he get, and then with the Giants, as you mentioned, he becomes a monster, and he's like the, the home run king. Uh, and it, so it's um, either way, right. he was talented. So I agree with you. Yeah, and, and Roger Clemens, really? Roger Clemens, who won seven Cy Youngs and was a dominant pitcher for how many years? 15 to 20 years. He's not in the Hall of Fame. I I just have trouble with it. Yeah, no question. Well, I hope that you get a chance to watch Sosa and McGuire, uh, the documentary. It should be interesting, Mickey, to see and hear from both sides because with the Cardinals and Cubs, that big rivalry, and then these two going back and forth in that June of 98, that's uh, going to be a fun story to tell. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and I appreciate uh, the chance to come on your show today. It was a lot of fun. Mickey, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it as always. All right, take care. Stay safe, my friend. All right, it's uh, All-Star Second Baseman Mickey Morandini with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Yeah, it's been fun this week. A lot of different topics. Of course, we talked a lot about George Floyd and his murder um, last week, and protests are still going on. But as we always do, we uh, we come out from underneath it. Like we know this is a topic, and this has never been a show that talks a lot about social issues. But when it's on the front burner. And it's on our televisions and our social media. We had to talk about it. And I'm glad that you and I have had the opportunity to talk about uh, issues such as George Floyd and then how it intersects with sports. You know, Colin Kaepernick and Roger Goodell. Um, and so the police brutality and what's been talked about in, in as far as a topic that's all been able to intersect with George Floyd and everything else that's been going on socially in our country and in our world. So uh, if you've missed some of the content for Under the Hood with John the Hood, make sure that you check out the ESPN Chicago app. If you have not downloaded it, why not? I mean, it's for Android users. It's for iPhone users, um, Google Play. Check out the ESPN Chicago app and download the app. That way you can catch all three hours of Under the Hood with John the Hood. Great guests, great conversations, uh, light conversations more times than not. Uh, check it out on the ESPN Chicago app. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. Also, I uh, had a couple of great guests, including Phil Rogers from Forbes. And also got a chance to talk to J.A. Adande from TheUndefeated.com. So for Tyler, I'm Jonathan. Don't forget to download the ESPN Chicago app. And don't forget, for you wrestling fans, it's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on that same app. Check out a couple of uh, great interviews and conversations there on TWT. Thanks for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.